Whether you're a professional athlete or a seasoned corporate executive, it is easy to enjoy a lifestyle where a paycheck is calling all the shots. But is that sustainable forever? Welcome to Tell Your Boss I Quit with Pete Gutekunst, founder of Good Financial Services and financial planner with Raymond James. Pete helps you financially bridge from the journey you've started through the life goals you've imagined. Sooner or later, by force or by choice, life takes turns. Listen as Pete discusses how to take charge and make your move on your terms with confidence. This time is different. Yeah, those may be the most famous last words in the investment markets. But on the other hand, just because it's never happened before doesn't mean it can't happen now. Pete Gutekunst and Brian Henderson are here to help you sift through the noise of historical perspectives and worn-out cliches to help guide your financial path forward. Gentlemen? Thanks, Patrice. And yeah, you know, it was actually uh, Sir John Templeton. He said, the four most expensive words in the English language are, this time is different. But he also said that the best time to invest is when you have money. So it's a good time to invest as long as you can sort out the noise. And so, you know, Brian, you and I have been looking at a lot of things and it seems like this is the first uh, first time ever for some things that have ever happened and the rare time that something has happened. And we keep getting all of these little nuggets that we get from different companies and from different resources, people we listen to. And we hear it from, you know, when we bring people into the office and hear what they're listening to and reading. And so I really thought it would be good to, to help us. Uh, you know, help our listeners go through sorting through what some of that noise is and and sifting some of it out. And and I pulled together a few that I've gotten in the, uh, here recently. And I know you just came back from a meeting, and I think you really got some good nuggets as well. It seems like you've really been picking up uh, some interesting pieces of information lately. Yeah, certainly have. And to be quite honest with you, I'm almost a little bit sick of hearing this has never happened before. This <laughs> always happens this way or something along those lines. It's just, it seems like there certainly is a lot of uh, contradicting you know, perspectives, whether you look at it historically or anything like that. But uh, yeah, there's certainly a lot of, you know, big things to pull out. And that's a good, uh, good anecdotal thing to be thinking about there when you talk about, you know, this time is the end or this time is different, something like that. I think, I think as you're going through it, it always feels like it's the worst time. And, you know, I can think back just a little over two years ago, we were dealing with the COVID situation and certainly that didn't feel like it was going to end anytime soon. But I think that's a good reminder that those times do come to an end. We never quite know when or how long that's going to take, but certainly, you know, something good to remember to have worked through and been on the other side of. Yeah, absolutely. That that's, uh, certainly has created a lot of uh, twists and turns in what we're going through. And I, I just picked up a couple of things here that I, I get every week or so that come across my desk. And it, it was interesting to me, I'll just share one with you to kind of get things rolling is it had to do with uh, with Fed pivots. And so right now we're in a year where the Federal Reserve has been hiking rates and we were at zero and now we're over 3% in a nine-month period of time, which I won't say it because you told me not to, but it's never happened before. At least <laughs> I don't think it's happened that fast. But it's interesting. I've got some Fed pivots here and those are essentially periods of time when the Fed has been raising rates and then makes a turn. And and the chart that they sent me was all of what you know what happened when when the Fed has pivoted in the past. And the and they sent me one about the stock market, but recently I got one. It was uh, came from 
um, a lot of information came from Macrobond and was all about how the Fed has, after the Fed pivoted, what happened to interest rates. And I think that that's really what a lot of people are looking at right now in this current environment is when we get to a peak, then all of a sudden things drop. And it was interesting to me that the biggest drop that they have seen was after they stopped tightening in 2018. But the next biggest one was in 1995, which was a year uh, where the Fed hike, uh, hiked rates in a similar, I guess, fashion in some ways is this year. But the end takeaway was sort of implying, hey, this is what's going to happen next. And they did the same thing with the stock market uh, prior to that. And we're showing some, you know, where things had happened. And here's kind of an interesting to play into what you're saying is uh, it showed that the stock market has always gone up after the Fed has made a pivot with one exception. And that was in 2000 after what they called the tech wreck. And, uh, and I thought that was kind of an interesting observation because uh, people would take the, I think it's sort of implying that when they pivot, things are going to pretty much get better. But that was a period of time when we had a recession after they pivoted. And we've got a lot kind of going on right now and what we're seeing ahead of us in our windshield in the current environment. Yeah, we certainly have a lot ahead of us. And uh, just kind of building off of that, you know, we we also haven't seen a time in the past where stocks had bottomed prior to a recession. And at the same time, we also haven't seen a recession during the third year of a presidency. So there's a lot of things that certainly seem like they could be a possibility and a lot of things that haven't happened that have already happened up to this point and, and it certainly seem like they, you know, could continue to go down that path of never haves or what ifs. Um, you know, it certainly makes it hard to be an investor and to try to look through those types of things. And that's why we're always talking to people about timelines and thinking about how long you actually have that money to be invested for and what the purpose behind it is. And again, that's, you know, not an easy thing to be going through while you're in it. Um, but certainly, you know, looking back at history is a good thing to be thinking about. Um, you know, I think something that's very relative right now, and I know people are always throwing out Buffett quotes just because that's, you know, <laughs> I got a bunch from my desk, right? Yeah, now. <laughs> I have one, I have one too that I think is that I think is relative, and uh, one is you know, price is what you pay, and value is what you get, and I think that a lot of the conversations that we've been having with people recently is talking about what are the underlying companies or things that we're actually buying into to own or to be a part owner in. And it's hard when you have that disconnect between the price that you may see or the value that you have on an account statement. That changes day by day. It changes you know, hour by hour while people are trading stocks and bonds and things like that. Um, but what really happens under the, you know, under the hood of all of that is that you're owning shares of a company or you're lending money in the form of a bond to a company and getting a return on interest on that. And I think sometimes it's just hard to look at that from a top level perspective and understand, look, if you own good companies, if you own good investments over time, they should do well. And we don't know exactly what that means. We have, again, an idea historically of what the average of different types of returns are. Um, but you know, that's really what you need to be focused on is what are we investing in at the end of the day? What are actually the underlying, you know, holdings and making sure you understand that's important as well. But, you know, just, just coming back to that as a fundamental, I think is really important during times like this. Yeah. I think it was Warren Buffett or maybe Peter Lynch really stressed about understanding what it is that you own. And, and unfortunately it's interesting, you know, the election and the third, you know, um, year of a presidential term, they're the kinds of things that people come into the office and really kind of hang their hat on and say, hey, you know, this is this is it, right? And uh, and use that as a reason to maybe counter some of the things that we might suggest or, you know, to kind of 
uh, put themselves at ease. And I think you're absolutely right. You've got to understand that there's a little more to it than just just doing that. If it was that easy, you know, everyone would stay at home and just kind of follow along with what what's you know happened in the third year of every presidency and and do just that. And that's really the key uh, of trying to follow along with a, a diversified strategy. And I think if you're doing that, you also have to recognize that diversification means you're always probably going to own something you don't like. And in the long run, I think that's a, you know that's a recipe for successful investing because there will come a time when things will go in and out of favor and you need to be kind of moving ahead and taking opportunities where they're going to be. And sometimes that, that might mean that you're owning something right now that isn't exactly appealing or doesn't seem quite right. Yeah, that's definitely right. And, and another quote to go along with that that I actually got from that conference that you mentioned was, the ball doesn't usually go where it has been. And that may seem a little bit weird when we're talking about investments, <laughs> although I guess we use sports analogies all the time. But I, th I think what's important to think about that is just as an example this year, I mean, we have a bond market that's down you know, over 15% as we're talking right now. And to think to be buying something like a bond, which for a lot of people is supposed to work as a way to you know, you reduce a risk of a portfolio, um, you know, to think to be moving money in that direction or to be reinvesting into bonds is something that's difficult, especially seeing, you know, with that pullback. Uh, however, we've also had interest rates that were so low, you know, that bond portion of, of a portfolio, you might've been getting two, three, four percent or something along those lines, but bond rates are already higher than that. You know, we see bonds that are paying 5% plus, and that could be on even a tax-free, you know, uh, perspective. So if you think about a taxable equivalent yield on that, you're getting a much better return characteristic moving forward. So I, I think that it's, you know, certainly been interesting and a lot of times owning something that may not seem right in the moment or even buying more of something that definitely doesn't seem right in the moment seems so counterintuitive. But, um, you know, that's really what a disciplined investment strategy and a dis dis uh, disciplined investor does is, you know, you want to be... Uh, fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. So, you know, some of that's, and that not, doesn't always work either, but, you know, <laughs> moving into some things right now that are really beaten up, um, you know, over the long term could, could certainly be a positive idea. Yeah. And then another way that we used to always say that same quote, I think it was Wayne Gretzky was such a successful hockey player because he skated to where the puck was going, not, not where it already <laughs> exactly. was. So exactly right. And you're, and you're absolutely right there. You know, and I think it's interesting uh, you know, you have to you have to have patience. And and one of the things that I find is and when we look at history and a lot of the information that gets fed to any any person, a lot of it kind of starts from 1950. And the reason for that, there's just a lot of data. And the also is because prior to that, we had World War II and we had the Great Depression. And so a lot of the the data that kind of gets dropped in a person's lap is, well, this is what's happened since 1950 and do you think it's going to be as bad as that or or that was kind of the range of things so I'll just kind of pull out a, a couple of others um and I'll, I'll start out but first by just saying looking at that from 2008 we had a lot of things that happened in 2008 that we hadn't seen since before 1950 so all of a sudden there were things that happened in 2008 that hadn't really been seen and so I, I just got something sent to me and it showed what happens when the market declines uh, by 25% or more since 1950. And the average drop is 38%. And the days of peak to trough is 427 days. And this is from FactSet. 
And uh, and the, so here we are, 270 days uh, when this was produced, I guess, toward uh, toward the end of the third quarter and and kind of implying that, you know, maybe we're most of the way through that. Um, and that's really, I think, the danger here is the peak to trough on average was 427 days. So you could say, well, we're 270 days. We have a ways to go. But we've also seen things happen very rapidly. And I think you have to use history as a guide, but also kind of think about what's happening here. So I mentioned that the interest rates have risen uh, by as much as uh, in over 3% in nine months. We have uh, a stock market and a, a bond market where we're over 20% at one point this year in the stock market and the bond market down over uh, down 20% in the stock market and down over 10% in the bond market. That's a very unusual set of circumstances. So you kind of use these historical reference points and they can kind of th throw you off. So they're important to kind of look at where we are. And I think that's really where we want to, you know, back to a good diversified strategy is there is some opportunity if rates are peaking and that makes bonds kind of interesting. But if we use history as our guide, this still is a buying opportunity, especially for that longer term stock investor. Yeah, certainly. And, and there's a ton of, you know, anecdotal things like that that you could pull out, um, whether it be the move in interest rates, not that that's anecdotal, but just, you know, what's going on, gone on this year <clears throat> and, you know, its effect as far as what goes on to the stock implications and things like that. But again, you know, we want to be thinking about that, that time horizon or your idea behind what your investment strategy is. If you're really that buy and hold type of investor, you're not buying companies that are different than nine months ago and their future, whether it be over the next 12, 24, 36 months, maybe there is headwinds now that are more important to keep eye on than something at the beginning of the year, um, just because of the changes that we have happened, interest rates included. Uh, but that doesn't change the fact that a lot of these companies are still strong places to be investing for the next 10, 20, 30 years. And so it's important you know, to keep that top of mind. And like we were saying, it's not always easy to be going in and suggesting to, to reinvest or to buy more of something that's down. Um, but oftentimes, you know, that is the right thing to be doing. Yeah, and and since you're you're bringing up Warren Buffett quotes so much, I have one: only buy something that you'd be perfectly happy to hold if the market shut down for ten years. So you want to buy something of quality and and you know kind of have that long term view. But uh, you know, before we 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 sat down to get ready for our recording today, I know I stuck my head in the door, and I think you were kind of looking at. Uh, the relationship of of value and growth, and had some thoughts on that. And I had a couple charts there too, as well. But uh, just kind of looking at there as as investors look at what they own and why they own and how things behave, we have a real different kind of relationship happening there. And I think that's another reason why you don't put all your eggs in one basket, to use another cliche. But you know, you want to own some things that zig when other things zag. But we're seeing a a, a change in relationship there as well. Yeah, we definitely are. I think this also comes back to, you know, the idea of that quote where the ball doesn't usually go where it's been. And for the past 10 years up to this point, quite honestly, that hasn't really been true. You know, we've seen, um, you know, tech companies and things like that, that are definitely growth style investments have really outperformed value, which we saw for a long time be in that leadership role, but not so really. I, so I have, a, I have a little chart for you on that. So okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so. Uh, so I think, so this also comes from, from FactSet, but from, from going back to 94, uh, value outperformed growth for about six years. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of that period of time, growth outperformed value for about five years. 
in the middle 90s, value was a little bit of an outperform there for about 2.3 years. And then the later 90s going into that tech wreck that I mentioned mm-hmm. earlier, growth was outperforming for three years. And then coming out of that, so kind of later 2001, 2002, and kind of a, a side note, asset allocation really worked well in that period of time because if you were growth and value and had fixed income, there was definitely different asset classes that fared okay during that difficult period of time. But you know, after coming out of that period of time, value outperformed for eight years up until uh, really we got to... Um, you know, right before 2007. And then we saw that that growth outperforming after 2000, you know, after we went through the the, uh, the financial crisis, we've had 14 years of outperformance from growth investments. And so, you know, the longest outperformance prior to that was what I just read off was eight. So I don't know if I broke your stride there. You had a, you were on a good roll, but that's, no, that's kind of <laughs> interesting. What's yeah, yeah. that's people, if, if you're, if you think what, what worked in the past is going to keep working, Oh, maybe that 14 years was a bit of an outlier. Yeah, exactly. That definitely helps add color to it. And that's exactly where I was going with that too. I think, you know, the macro environment certainly has a big uh, effect on the relationship between growth and value. And like you were talking about earlier, you've had over 3% um, plus moves in the interest rate markets. And and that definitely changes the way people look, you know, at their investments between stocks and bonds. But I think it also changes the way that people look at that relationship of, you know, growth versus value too. And on top of that, we haven't really mentioned it, but we also have uh inflation that we haven't seen for a long time a long time if oh, anyone is in there's a, a whole podcast you're going yeah <laughs> <laughs> if, if anyone isn't uh, already aware of that then that's also going on so um and you know that also has an effect on the way people view cash flow and profits and things like that that companies are are projecting into the future and you know you were talking about that a couple of times this past week is just what how are stocks priced and you know how do people think about the way that they value a company today you know looking into the future and depending on what interest rates are what inflation is that all plays a factor into all of those you know inputs or calculations and um yeah so you know that relationship is definitely something to be looking at and i think that what we're learning you know throughout this year and what we're going to continue to see probably in the near term future here is just how important asset allocation and diversification really is. And, and you know, like you said, up until um, this this year and for those past 14 years, we were just seeing that growth outperformance. Uh, it was hard to tell people to, you know, look into the value space or think about adding bonds to a portfolio or something like that. But I think that that certainly is going to be more of a conversation going forward. Yeah, that's that's a great point. And uh, just to kind of wrap that that topic up, uh, another Buffett quote is: "The investor of today does not profit from yesterday's growth." And that's mm. uh, you know that's exactly right. You can't pang your hat on on that. And there's definitely a lot of a lot of shifting tides right now. So you know, I think we could go on and on with this. I think we go. You probably got a bunch of quotes laying in front of you. I have a few, but you know, essentially. Uh, I think what's most important of all here is I don't know that we have really given any data point that says this is a clear direction of where things are going for certain. Um, there's definitely some higher probabilities or or there's a better setup maybe for you know, for fixed income right now than we saw earlier in the year. Uh, perhaps value is better set up, but there's no no certainty of that. And so, you know, I'll just kind of wrap up here with a couple of Buffett quotes since we seem to be calling his name out so much. Risk comes from not 
uh, risk comes from not knowing what you're doing. And that's why I think it's important to, you know, work with a team that really has a strategy in place. And sometimes, like you said, sometimes you own something that's lagging or not live living up. But if you own it for the right reasons and you own it for the right period of time, it's going to deliver results. And we're definitely seeing where some of those opportunities are coming about now. And and I think a good strategy, this is a, a another Buffett quote, predicting rain doesn't count, building arcs does. And that's kind of what you're talking about. You've got different asset classes. You were talking about uh, you know, diversity matters, uh, asset allocation matters. And that's what that's designed to do is to weather the storm and get you through. And so just because you predict it's coming, if you don't have an arc to get into, obviously that's that's not going to get you out. And then I'm, I'm just going to kind of wrap up here because I, I never read, saw, read this before, but uh, you and I, I think we find a lot of history in markets, uh, these data points interesting, and they give us perspective and clients bring them to our attention. But another uh, Buffett quote is, if past history was all there was to the game, the richest people would be librarians. And hmm. just not knowing about what happened in the past, but you have to kind of think about it where it is today. And, and as I said, there have been periods of time where this looks like something that happened in the in the past, but where we're dealing with a a really heavy tightening uh, Fed policy and higher inflation, as you alluded to. So there's probably a whole host of things we could even take a deeper dive into. But I think the bottom line is that you want to build a good strategy, know what you own, and have a good reason for it. And if you want help with that, we're here. Good Financial Services. You can find us at goodfinancial.com. If you're getting close to retirement and thinking about what it's going to be living life after the paycheck. Ends, check out my book, uh, Tell Your Boss I Quit, which you can find at tellyourbossiquitbook.com. And we're always happy to have a conversation. And if we can help you navigate these rough waters, we're here for you. Till next time, go Phillies. Thank you for listening to Tell Your Boss I Quit. Click the follow button below to be notified when new episodes become available. To learn more about defining your financial purpose and how you can thrive and not sacrifice your spending in retirement, download Tell Your Boss I Quit by Pete Goodekinst. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and or guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Raymond James. This content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional financial advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service providers with any questions you may have regarding your individual situation. Securities are offered through Raymond James Financial Services, Inc., member FINRA, and SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Raymond James Financial Services Advisors, Inc., Goot Financial Services is not a broker, dealer, and is independent of Raymond James Financial Services. 